0: Section 15 of The American Book of the Dog. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The American Book of the Dog, G. O. Shields, Editor. Section 15 The Irish Water Spaniel, by P. T. Madison. ONE OF THE GREATEST, IF NOT THE GREATEST RETRIEVERS OF WHICH WE HAVE ANY KNOWLEDGE IS THE IRISH WATER SPANIEL, ESPECIALLY IS THIS TRUE OF THE SPECIES FROM THE SOUTH OF IRELAND. THE BREED CONSISTS OF TWO DISTINCT VARIETIES, PECULIAR TO THE NORTH AND SOUTH OF IRELAND. THE NORTHERN DOG HAS SHORT EARS, WITH LITTLE FEATHER EITHER ON THEM OR ON THE LEGS, BUT WITH A CONSIDERABLE CURL IN HIS COAT. IN COLOR HE IS GENERALLY LIVER, BUT WITH MORE OR LESS WHITE, WHICH SOMETIMES PREDOMINATES SO AS TO MAKE HIM DECIDEDLY WHITE AND LIVER. THE SOUTH COUNTRY IRISH WATER SPANIEL IS, ON THE CONTRARY, INVARIABLY OF A PURE LIVER COLOR, EARS LONG AND WELL FEATHERED, BEING OFTEN TWENTY-FOUR INCHES FROM POINT TO POINT, AND THE WHOLE COAT CONSISTING OF SHORT, CRISP CURLS, BODY LONG, LOW AND STRONG, TAIL ROUND AND CARRIED SLIGHTLY DOWN BUT STRAIGHT WITHOUT ANY FEATHER. Almost all the importations to America are from the latter named species. The importers and breeders of America have endeavored to keep the breed pure, and through their efforts this country can now boast of as fine specimens as can be found anywhere in the world. The writer has in his kennel a dog now three years old by Count Bendingo out of foam, which is pronounced by persons well posted on this breed a typical specimen therefore in the absence of anything better i will use the measurements of this dog in giving a description of my ideal of the breed height twenty four inches at the shoulder weight fifty five pounds head capacious forehead prominent face from eyes and ears down perfectly smooth ears twenty one inches from point to point of leather and twenty five inches from point to point of feather the head is crowned with a well-defined top-knot, which stands erect and is not straggling across like that of the common rough-water dog, but comes down in a peak on the forehead, giving the head and face much of the appearance of a merino sheep. His body is covered with small, crisp curls, which extend along the tail about three inches. From there, to the sting, the tail is smooth. His color is pure liver the standard as adopted by the english spaniel club hereinafter given meets my approval except as to the top knot, which in my judgment should not fall over the eyes but should stand erect mr j s skidmore a noted english breeder of irish water spaniels pays this well-deserved tribute to the good qualities of the breed to a sportsman of limited means, or one who is not prepared to keep a team of dogs, the Irish water spaniel is the most useful dog he can have, inasmuch as he can be made to perform the duties of pointer, setter, retriever, and spaniel. But as his name implies, he is peculiarly fitted, by temperament and by a water-resisting coat, for the arduous duties required by a sportsman whose proclivities lie in the direction of wild-fowl shooting. In this branch of sport, they have no equal, being able to stand any amount of hardship this combined with an indomitable spirit leads them into deeds of daring from which many dogs would shrink many are the feats recorded of their pluck sagacity and intelligence for a well-bred and trained specimen no sea is too rough no pier too high and no water too cold even if he have to break the ice at every step he is not discouraged and day after day will repeat the arduous task as a companion for a lady or gentleman, the Irish Water Spaniel has no equal, while a well-behaved dog of the breed is worth a whole mint of toys to the children. He will allow the little ones to pull him about by the ears, will roll over and over with them, will fetch their balls as often as thrown for him, and will act as their guard in times of danger. So good an authority as Mr. J. H. Whitman of Chicago says... I have no hesitation in saying to the sportsman who desires a really first-class retriever for wild fowls that there is none superior, if equal to the Irish water spaniel, for retrieving ducks, brant, geese, etc. from land or water. I never saw a dog that seemed to enter into the sport with more zeal, and on whom cold water had so little effect. I have seen them retrieve ducks when ice would form on their coats reaching shore. Still, they were always ready to go i never saw more intelligence in any breed of dogs they can be taught tricks as easily as a poodle they soon learn that a duck shot dead and falling in the water can be retrieved at any time and where two are dropped one dead and one wounded the irish water spaniel invariably goes for the wounded one first there is no dog that is so natural a retriever or so easily broken as the pure irish water spaniel i would advise parties owning one of these dogs that they expect to use as a retriever on game not to teach him any tricks as i have always observed that a trick dog was good for nothing else in training the irish water spaniel for shooting purposes you should first instill into his mind obedience and when that is fully accomplished your dog is broken as it is as natural for him to retrieve from land or water as it is for a pointer or setter to point i have my dog broken to go as soon as the shot is fired in this way i lose few if any wounded birds while, on the contrary, if the dog is broken to drop to shot, your wounded duck or snipe often gets away before the dog is ordered on. In quail shooting, a dog is trained to drop to shot because other birds often remain within shooting distance after the gun has been fired, and if the dog were allowed to break shot, he would likely flush many of them while your gun was empty. But as all ducks and snipes take wing as soon as they hear the report of a gun, you run no such chances in that class of shooting hence in order that you may secure all your wounded birds i advise you to teach your irish water spaniel to break shot on the subject of training the irish water spaniel mr whitman says commence if the puppy is precocious at three months old first throw a ball or roll of cloth or any soft substance calling his attention to it as it passes from your hand if he does not bring it the first time he may the second or third if he does not, let him go for that time he is too young to force, but will soon begin to understand what is wanted, and perform more to your wish. Try him twice a day, but not long at a time. Teach him to come to you when called. At first he may not come, put a cord round his neck, or, if he wears a collar, attach cord to that. Now call him. If he does not come, pull him to you, pet him, let him go, and call him again. If he refuse to come, bring him to you again with the cord. By following this course he will soon learn that you are his master and will obey you. Now make him charge or lie down. Say charge, drop, or any word you like, but invariably use the same word and raise the hand. As at first he neither understands the meaning of the word nor the uplifted hand, you should take his four legs and pull them from under him with one hand while you press down his quarters with the other, using at the same time the word at which you desire he should lie down. When he will remain in the position in which you have placed him, looking towards you, raise the hand and repeat the word as often as he offers to move in a short time he will do this seemingly well but as this is a very important lesson continue it for days and weeks until he becomes so perfect that at your whistle or word of command he will look at you and drop instantly at uplifted hand many dogs want to come to you before they drop but insist on their dropping where they first get the signal to do so easy enough said but how shall it be done my way is to take the dog back to the place where he was ordered to charge, walking backward from him with hand raised, returning him to the spot from which he started, every time, until he remains as desired. Having taught him to do this well, take a well-trained dog out with him. Charge both, the older one in the rear of the puppy. Walk away from them as before. Call the older one by name when he will come, and undoubtedly the puppy will come too, but he must be taken back until he is perfect in this. The importance of this is, should you be hunting with some friend whose dog is not well broken and runs in at the report of the gun, your dog, if so trained, will not move, even if he is passed by the other dog. Or you may see game to which you desire to creep. You can then leave the dog behind you. To teach him to follow at heel, attach the cord to the puppy, say, Heel, carry your whip in hand, and should he attempt to get in front of you, touch him lightly on the nose, say at the same time, Heel. Another way is to couple him to a broken dog, using the same means and words should he try to get ahead. Having taught him to retrieve anything you may throw for him when he can see it, now throw it in high grass or weeds, or in fact any place where he cannot see it, and bid him fetch. He will begin to look for it, and unless he should find it at once, you should encourage him to find it by, if necessary, going with him. But do not pick it up yourself. Have him do that, and follow you with it in his mouth." It is better to do this with a bird, say, a, a pigeon or a duck, as I have seen dogs that would bring a ball, roll of cloth, etc., well, that at first would not touch a bird. I prefer a bird with which to teach them to retrieve. Having now taught him to charge, retrieve, heel, and come at whistle, you should take him to some stream where the water is not too deep to start with, throwing into the water the object he is in the habit of retrieving on land and sending him for it. I have not seen one puppy that would not go for it at once, especially if the water were warm. It is better to teach the puppy this work in the summer or early fall before the weather is too cold. Your dog is now ready for a lesson in duck shooting. Get on some point of land where birds pass and shoot one, having it fall as near shore as possible. Send him for it and encourage him if he brings it nicely you should endeavor to have him watch birds as they fly past. It will soon teach him to watch them as they fall, and mark well the spot, so he can go direct to them. I would advise you to accustom him to the sound of the gun from his youth, until you begin to work him on game, commencing with percussion caps, or a small charge of powder, no shot. When he shows that for him the report of a gun has no terror, you are all right, he will not be gun-shy. If he is a little timid, don't despair, for he, finding he is not hurt by the report, if properly handled, will come out all right. If you go with him in boat, have him charge, and do not allow him to rise until ordered. If he will not mind promptly the word charge, tie a rope across the boat from Rolock to Rolock, and fasten him in centre so that he cannot get out. Now shoot, if possible, some ducks, while he is so confined, and when the gun is fired, should he attempt to move, say charge, and compel him to go down promptly repeat this until he is perfect in not attempting to leave the boat until ordered he must be kept in strict obedience do not allow him to disobey without correcting him at once in your order to secure the game don't forget you have a dog for that purpose i have never seen the weather or water too cold for my dog to take great pleasure apparently in his work i have worked him from early morning till late at night in slush ice and he would not suffer in the least the undercoat of this breed is similar to that of the beaver or muskrat, and is saturated with an oily substance that almost thoroughly protects them from wet and cold. To fully appreciate the pleasure of duck and snipe shooting, the sportsman should have a well-broken Irish water spaniel. I would take just as much pleasure in quail shooting without my setter or pointer as I would in duck or snipe shooting without my retriever i predict for the irish water spaniel a bright future as he has only to be known to be appreciated and he is becoming better known every year this is a noble dog and should be developed to the greatest possible perfection and in order to stimulate effort in this direction i believe that a retriever club should be formed in america for the purpose of holding field trials on some of our numerous lakes rivers or marshes to which all members of the retriever family should be eligible it would be as easy to formulate rules for the government of trials of this character as it was for the originators of field trials for pointers and setters to evolve their rules. While our first efforts in this direction would doubtless be crude, experience would soon teach us, and by bringing all the different breeds together, we could in a short time determine which is best fitted to perform the various kinds of work. One breed might be found far superior to another in working in open, rough, and large bodies of water, while another would excel in the weeds and grasses of the marsh." These questions can only be settled by actual competition, and I am satisfied that great good would result from frequent trials, as the breeders would take great pride in possessing a field trial winner, and in the future would breed with the sole object of producing the best performers. By this means, the value of each breed would be greatly enhanced. I can remember when $5 was a big price for a pointer or setter puppy, and $25 an enormous price for a broken dog. Perfection in breeding, brought about largely by field trials, has enhanced the value of the setter and pointer so much that often we hear of a fine performer bringing a thousand dollars or more. I hope to see a retriever club organized, and will gladly assist in the good work. I will devote as much of my time as I can spare from my business to organizing such a club, formulating rules, and conducting trials. The standard and scale of points of the Irish water spaniel are as follows. Positive Points. Head and jaw, ten. Eyes, five. Top knot, five. Ears, ten. Neck, seven and a half. Body, seven and a half. Fore legs, five. Hind legs, five. Feet, five. Stern, ten. Coat, fifteen. General appearance, fifteen. Total, one hundred. Negative points. Cording or tags of dead or matted hair, twenty. Mustache or poodle hair on cheek, ten. Length, open, or woolly coat, ten. A natural sandy light coat, 15. Furnishing of tail more than halfway down to sting, 5. Setter feathering on legs, 15. White patch on chest, 15. Total, 90. Disqualifications. Total absence of topknot. A fully feathered tail. Any white patch on any part of dog except a small one on chest or toe. Head. CAPACIOUS SKULL, RATHER RAISED IN DOME, AND FAIRLY WIDE, SHOWING LARGE BRAIN CAPACITY. THE DOME APPEARS HIGHER THAN IT REALLY IS, FROM ITS BEING SURMOUNTED BY THE CREST OR TOP knot, WHICH SHOULD GROW DOWN TO A POINT BETWEEN THE EYES, LEAVING THE TEMPLE SMOOTH. EYES. HIGHLY INTELLIGENT, AMBER COLORED. DARK IS GENERALLY PREFERRED. NOSE. DARK LIVER COLORED, RATHER LARGE, AND WELL DEVELOPED. EARS. SET ON RATHER LOW. In a full-sized specimen, the leather should not be less than 18 inches and with feather about 24 inches. The feather on the ear should be long, abundant, and wavy. Neck. Should be pointer-like, i.e. muscular, slightly arched, and not too long. It should be strongly set on the shoulders. Body, including size and symmetry. Height at shoulder from 20 to 24 inches, according to sex and strain. Body fair-sized, round, barrel-shaped, well-ribbed up. WHEN WET WOULD RESEMBLE IN CONTOUR THAT OF A SPORTING-LOOKING POINTER. SHOULDERS AND CHEST. CHEST DEEP AND NOT TOO NARROW. SHOULDERS STRONG, RATHER SLOPING, AND WELL COVERED WITH HARD MUSCLE. BACK AND LOIN. BACK STRONG, LOINS A TRIFLE-ARCHED AND POWERFUL SO AS TO FIT THEM FOR THE HEAVY WORK OF BEATING THROUGH SEDGY, MUDDY SIDES OF RIVERS. HINDQUARTERS. ROUND AND MUSCULAR, AND SLIGHTLY drooping TOWARD THE SET-ON OF THE STERN. STERN. A WHIP-TAIL. Thick at base and tapering to a sting. The hair on it should be short, straight, and close-lying, except for a few inches from its root, where it gradually merges into the body coat in some short curls. Feet and legs. Fore legs, straight, well-boned. They should be well-furnished with wavy hair all round and down to the feet, which should be large and round. Hind legs stifle long, hock set low. They should be well-furnished except from the hock down the front. Coat. Neither woolly nor lank, but should consist of short, crisp curls right up to the stern. Top knot should fall well over the eyes. It and furnishing of ears should be abundant and wavy. COLOR Dark, rich liver, or puce, to be judged by its original color. A sandy, light coat is a defect. Total absence of white desirable. Any except a little on chest or a toe should disqualify. GENERAL APPEARANCE that of a strong, compact, dashing-looking dog, with a quaint and very intelligent aspect. The light rim round the eye, objected to by some, frequently adds much to their intelligent, knowing expression. They should not be leggy, as power and endurance are required of them in their work. Noisy and joyous when out for a spree, but mute on game. The following may be mentioned among the many prominent owners and breeders of Irish water-spaniels in this country. Charles L. Griffith 82 Front Street, New York City, John R. Daniels, 151 Ontario Street, Cleveland, Ohio, Hornell Harmony Kennels, Hornellsville, New York, Joseph Lewis, Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania, Milwaukee Kennel Club, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Anderson and Kilpatrick, 229 Park Avenue, Chicago, Illinois, C.B. Rhodes, Moberly, Missouri, James Delahuity, 134 Second Street, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. George H. Hill, Madeira, Ohio. Dr. James F. W. Ross, Toronto, Ontario. J. H. Whitman, Passenger Department, Grand Trunk Railway, Chicago. Andrew Laidlaw, Woodstock, Ontario. Devonshire Kennels, Attica, Indiana. T. Donahue, LaSalle, Illinois. John D. Alcott, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. P. Tindolph, Vincennes, Indiana. C. H. Hampson, Denver, Colorado. End of section fifteen.